2: the story. Yeah, I was a member of Police Rescue Squad and we arrived, we saw the bridge on top of the train. Now, it's a 300 tonne bridge and uh, it pushed the train roof down within roughly a metre or less than a metre of the floor. And so I managed to get into the bridge on the north the eastern side and I was walking through the window spaces, looking sideways in to see people and uh I heard a few sounds and I thought there must be someone
0: alive in here. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. And today we have several remarkable stories for you from retired police inspector Gary Raymond. Gary is keeping busy these days as a chaplain to police and is involved in the Christian Police Fellowship of New South Wales. So, both in his career and after, he's been involved in many noteworthy events, including the Granville train disaster in 1977. But the amazing thing is that his story almost never began. Gary explains as he has a chat with Matt Prater and Karen Hunt. And before we start, we just want to warn listeners that some of these stories are pretty intense.
2: It was amazing. Uh, The same person tried to kill me on two occasions. Uh, Really? Yeah, that person was my own mother. Oh, wow. Yeah, what happened, she met my dad at a dance and she became pregnant that night with me. And she went into an absolute panic. In those days, you just didn't get pregnant out of wedlock. It was just very bad news. Uh-huh. She came from a sort of a, I guess, a middle-class Anglican family, and it's a terrible shame. On uh... So she decided to terminate my life, uh, have an abortion. And she booked in at the clinic, and she uh, actually told me that she'd conned a bank manager into a loan saying, oh, I'm going to buy a pushbike to write the work, when in fact the money was to uh, have me aborted. Mm-hmm. So she paid the money and booked in. She was uh, waiting for her turn to be admitted into the clinic. In the waiting room there was a list, and each time one of the ladies went in, the list was sort of, you know, their name was scratched off on the list. And this very cranky, apparently fairly big lady, a nursing sister, came out and she said... Uh, Miss Beryl Harris, Miss Harris, you're next, get in here. Mm. So with the Miss thing, she was laying it right in there that she was pregnant out of wedlock. Mm -hmm. And uh, my mum, the door opened and she saw uh, which she thought was a doctor and a nurse dressed in green, green long gowns and gloves and a mask. And, And when she saw that, she sort of said that the colour drained from her face and she felt a real need uh, not to destroy me, not to take my life. And so she ran from the clinic, hid in a local park and then went home. And finally, she was in a room and her mother came in and said, what's wrong, Beryl? And she told her mother she was pregnant. Well, it was World War Three. Mm. But when it settled down, grandma said, well, look, Beryl, we're going to have to do one of two things. Go into the country and have this baby, and, and have this baby adopted out, and nobody will know. And she said, "Oh, the second thing is find the father, and and what, you know, asking what his intentions are." And she said, oh, "Oh, I don't know where he lives, you know." And and so made Grandma faint just about. Well, my mum decided um, to go and find my dad, which she did. He was in the New Lambton Hotel having a drink. She told him. And without a second's hesitation, my dad was in the Australian Army and uh, during World War II in Indonesia and in Moritai, but he said, well, he said, Beryl, um, what's your name? She said, Harris, I'm going to marry you so that our child has its mum and dad. Wow. Yeah, so uh, they got married in a hurry and uh, what we call a shotgun wedding, I guess. And she was dressed in a pale blue dress because she wasn't allowed to wear white. Uh, Her mother wouldn't let her wear white because she was pregnant out of wedlock and was not a, inverted commas, a a virgin anymore. But the uh, marriage went all right. I was born um, and um, then things started to unravel. But they decided to have, uh, well, I guess a girl. So Neil was born. And they tried for a girl Kevin was born Tried for a girl Trevor was born Tried for a girl And Brian was born <laughs> Let's give up You know So they ended up With five boys Oh wow
1: God bless
2: them Yeah And my dad had A low paying job As a storeman And uh, he started um, Gambling the money Away on uh, Mainly the, the dogs The greyhound races And the trots The um, harness racing And uh, we, we ended up With no money and we were struggling for food to eat, we, uh, and the place was getting really bad. One night, my mother pulled a knife out of the drawer and said to my dad, if this keeps up, I'm going to kill myself and all of these boys. And mm. uh, he just laughed at her. He said, wake up to yourself and uh, don't be so stupid. Well, that night, my mother didn't hatch a, a plot to stab us, but she hatched a plot to gas us to death. Really? Yeah, herself and, and the five of us. And she um, went to the doctor and uh, pretended that she couldn't sleep. So Dr. Murphy gave her some sleeping tablets. And they were designed to uh, put us to sleep while oh, she gassed a lot of us. Mm. She put a mark on the calendar. She was ready to go. She rolled mm. up towels with sticky tape so the gas wouldn't escape from under mm. the door. She uh, wrote little notes, put an X on the calendar on the Sunday and which my dad would be a cricket, no one's home, she's going to kill a lot of us and herself. Mm-hmm. Lieutenant Gwen Fisher of the Salvation Army was getting kids to Sunday school, so she came and knocked on our door, and Mum sent us to Sunday school. Now, the church had an anniversary, the Salvation Army Church. Now, my mother actually came on the Saturday night, this thing was on, before the Sunday... But very next morning, she was going to murder us mm-hmm. and suicide. And she actually came to this church anniversary. She's sitting there, and a man full of the Holy Spirit, Brigadier Spillett, he got up and he said, well, we've had a great night tonight. You've heard some wonderful news, and everybody's been doing their stuff, praising and worshipping God, and, you know, we did drama and skits and all sorts of things. And we're on, we're on the platform. My mother was sitting in the congregation knowing But the next day she was going to murder us. She said she didn't feel a pang of conscience. She was so empty, so hurt and so mad. And um, Brigadier Spillett said, look, he said, God the Holy Spirit is telling me there's someone here tonight that needs two things. Number one, you need to know that Jesus has already forgiven you on the cross of Calvary for your sin. Past, present and future. Well, my mother thought, oh, well, that's good. And secondly, he said, you need your hurts to be healed by Jesus. And part of the cross was not only forgiveness of sin, but healing of hurts. Mm. And she thought, oh, yes, okay, well, I know the healing of my hurts, and that's murder. And, uh, but then he said, ladies and gentlemen, whoever you are, God the Holy Spirit has just told me this will not wait to tomorrow. You must come to Jesus tonight. Tomorrow will be too late wow. for you and some others. And uh, my mother said that hit her like a freight train of God's conviction of sin and his love and offer of forgiveness at the same time. And she just went running forward and, and threw herself down at the front and wept and many women came and prayed with her. And afterwards... You know, they had a great celebration because my mother told them what she was going to do. To finish that, we came home and, of course, next morning we get up for breakfast. My dad's hungover and my mum put all the stuff on the table that she was going to use for this murder-suicide. My dad said, what's all this? He said, well, today, she said, I was going to kill myself and all of your boys. And he looked, his eyes were wide open, the colour drained from his face. And she said, but last night I received Christ as my personal saviour. He's already forgiven me, and he's going to forgive you as well. And she said, it won't happen now. Our lives will be changed. This family will be changed. Mm. Gary, little did that Sunday school teacher know, hey, in the future, that you would be a member of the elite police rescue squad Tell us what your sergeant said to you years later with regard to rescuing the rescue squad. Yeah, my Sunday school teacher, I remember saying her saying, well, firstly, when I first went to Sunday school, she said, Jesus loves you. And I thought, what? Any time I'd heard the name of Jesus was when plates were flying through the air or chairs were kicked or doors mm-hmm. slammed um, or yelling out to us in the backyard. Oh, Mum and Dad arguing, and I thought, Jesus, is this the same Jesus that I heard at home? And she said, Jesus died to rescue you from your sin. Now, she didn't know that later on, I was being a member of the very elitist, as you mentioned, Police Rescue Squad. Mm-hmm. Later on, when I went and joined the Police Rescue Squad, one of my sergeants said to me, he said, Gaz... There is no one to rescue the rescuer. If you get into trouble, there is no police rescue to rescue the police rescue. And then uh, one of the, the other sergeant said to me, he goes, do not show emotion here. We can't afford to, to get emotional. We do our job. Everyone else, the other police, fire and ambulance, they get emotional. Police rescue, we don't. Because if we lose it, then everyone loses it. So I I came up with this hard heart and then, you know, a few years later when my life was in a mess, I had a failed marriage, I was drinking too heavily, I was uh, involved in the sort of work hard, play hard culture in police rescue which was, you know, if we're going to get someone's body out in 15 pieces from under a train today, Mm. then tonight world you're going to give us a real big party and my lifestyle was just one of self-gratification and And uh, when when it came to a crunch, suddenly it hit me, you know, I was alone, I was desperate and as I remember walking around the house and I was looking in the mirror saying, hold yourself together, don't cry, you'll be all right. pull yourself together and so the other thing is too that we weren't allowed to grieve for the people that we picked up in all sorts of horrific situations, including and especially children.
0: You're listening to The Story. Today, Karen Hunt and Matt Prater are chatting with retired police inspector Gary Raymond, who is now a chaplain to police in New South Wales. We'll have more of his story when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're continuing with Karen Hunt and Matt Prater chatting with retired police inspector Gary Raymond, who is now a chaplain to police in New South Wales. Next, Gary will share a remarkable story from the Granville train disaster. But first, here's more of his personal testimony of coming to
2: faith. Here I was, just wanting relief. I wanted forgiveness. And I remember my Sunday school teacher saying, Jesus came to rescue you from your sin. Yet the sergeant said, there's no one to rescue the rescuer. Well, I fell on my knees and elbows on the lounge room floor and began to cry for the first time in many years and I gave my life to Christ, was filled with his Holy Spirit, his lovely presence filling me and uh, I was absolutely and utterly born again and that is the old Gary died and I was reborn into God's family through Christ.
1: Your story is just so inspirational. I remember seeing you speak a few years ago and, you know, you're currently a a chaplain with the Police Post-Trauma Support Group, uh, a member of the Salvation Army Suicide Prevention Program. And one of the stories you share is your involvement in the Granville Rail disaster. It was 18th of January 1977 and there was 83 people that died in that train crash, more than 210 injured and 1,300 people were affected. What was your involvement uh, in the rescue at the Granville Rail disaster?
2: Yeah, I was a member of Police Rescue Squad and we arrived. I arrived with the late Sergeant Bill Fay. We saw the bridge on top of the train. Now, it's a 300-tonne bridge and uh, it pushed the train roof down within roughly a metre or less than a metre of the floor. Now, I remember Bill saying to me, he pointed at these 200 and I think it was 13 injured all around the place and he said, guys, don't worry about them. The ambos and doctors and nurses will look after them. He said, you, get in. I don't know how you're going to get into it. He said, get into those carriages underneath that bridge and tell me what we've got. Now, from emergency management point of view, that's a reconnaissance where we go in and find out how many injured, how many trapped, what's their injuries. We do a triage of their injuries, that is sorting out who's worse and who's not. And so I managed to get into the bridge on the north eastern side, and the side, if you can imagine, the side of the carriage was busted out onto the ground under the bridge, and I was walking through the window spaces, looking sideways in to see people crushed and dead and uh, a few I heard a few sounds, and I thought there must be someone alive in here, so I came across one woman and uh, she was being compressed by the chest. So I got my pocket knife out and I slit the seat and pulled all the stuffing out of the seat, which moved her backwards about, um, you know, three or four inches, gave it just enough room to breathe. So I thought, right, she's breathing and crying. So I thought, OK, there's some people here unconscious. Now, an ambulance officer had come in from the other end and crawled past a young 19-year-old lady called Debbie Scow. Now Debbie, uh, he thought she was dead so he kept crawling through looking for others but I came the other way and uh, I'm a former ambulance officer myself. I did five years in the ambulance service prior to going into the police force and I realised that, that she had a pulse because I was feeling pulses as I went and, uh, but she wasn't breathing because the uh, end of the carriage, the western end had come down and crushed her And the heater, which wasn't on of course, it was in summer, but the actual heater itself had pushed her head forward, literally onto her chest. And I realised that if I didn't straighten her head out right straight away and uh, give her what we call a patent airway, that is an open airway, she was going to die because Mm. she wasn't breathing. So I just grit my teeth and I just, you know, even though I wasn't a Christian then, I just said, please God help me. And so... I grabbed her head and I gripped my teeth and I put some traction on her neck, turned her head sideways, keeping that traction, the vertebrae apart. I didn't want to sever the cord, otherwise she would have died for sure or ended up as a quadriplegic. You talk about awful sounds. You know, I heard one of the most beautiful sounds that was <gasps> Debbie started to breathe herself spontaneously. Colour came back into her face and uh, even down to the Um, fingernails, that is the nail bed, became a lot better colour which meant that there was blood getting to the extremities but she had crush syndrome as well one of her legs was nearly amputated so I had had gloves on but I grabbed the bleeding vessels to stop her bleeding anymore held a chin and kept the airway open until we got some medical help I was there quite some time with her Later on, as I was rescuing Debbie, she said an interesting thing. She had what we call an acute abdomen. She had uh, some you know, muscular guarding across her abdomen, which meant there was something happening in there. And so, like a bleed. And she said, why are you feeling my abdomen? And I said, well, I'm just checking. I think there might be something going on in there, so please just keep still, keep very still. And she said oh, if I get out of here, will I be able to have a baby? I said, only God knows, Debbie. And I really was thinking, I don't think you're going to last, let alone get married and have a baby. It took us 10 hours to get her out. You can imagine the entrapment. Well, down the track, they called me into a television show called Where Are They Now? And they kept me in the green room and then brought me on the set and Debbie was there and I hadn't seen her and we cuddled and kissed and cried and... I heard a noise behind me, and I looked around, and there was a lady uh, holding a a baby, and Debbie said to me, Gary, that's my husband over there, Mm. and this is my baby, Shelby, and she looked straight at me. She said, Gary, God knew. Wow. Remember, I said under the train, only God knows. Mm. Debbie had met Steve. Steve uh, specializes in uh, disability equipment, met her and got married. And here was this miracle baby.
1: Well, Gary, it's been such a privilege to be able to talk to you today. I know, I mean, just looking through the list, you've been involved in the recovery for Cyclone Larry in North Queensland, the Boxing Day tsunami in Sri Lanka. Uh, The Lord's used you in so many ways. And we just pray that the Lord continues to open doors for you. I know with your involvement in the Christian Police Fellowship, uh, you're invited to speak all across the nation and uh, you've certainly got a, a great heart to uh, encourage those that have been through traumatic times as well.
2: And if there's one particular website that you'd like to refer people to, which would it be, Gary? Look, I think uh, if people have a look at internationalcpf.org, now that's International Christian Police Fellowships, they'll get all the news on what it's like to be a Christian police officer and the branches throughout the world that we have. We call it cop-out for Christ. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Good on you. Christian police, real stories, love it. God bless you, mate. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, God bless, Buzzy, and thank you for the privilege.
0: That was Karen Hunt and Matt Prater chatting with retired police inspector Gary Raymond, who is now a chaplain to police and is involved in the Christian Police Fellowship of New South Wales. And as I said at the beginning, Gary has some remarkable stories to tell, beginning with his own story of almost being aborted by his mother. But as we heard, the Lord has always had a hand in his life leading and guiding him, and Gary has gone through some pretty extraordinary experiences and witnessed some extraordinary miracles. If you'd like to read more of Gary's story and other real-life stories of Christian Police, the website to go to is christianpolice.org. That's christianpolice.org. Also, you can go to the website that Gary just mentioned for International Christian Police Fellowship. It's internationalcpf.org. That's internationalcpf.org. Well, thanks for joining us for Gary's incredible stories. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The
1: Story.
2: David actually makes pretty good geocaching caches and one of these was hidden inside a tree trunk deep inside and it had a cable tie attached to it and so I contacted him and told him that I really like that idea and that was how we started was because of cable ties and admiring the construction of the geocache.
0: Geocaching is a modern day hobby of hide and seek Where participants use a GPS to find hidden treasures Otherwise known as caches Maria Goh is a devoted geocacher And uses her hobby in creative ways to share her faith We'll find out how next time The Story Just another way vision is connecting faith to life